and and basically how they react uh, to the things that are going on in the nation, even how they react to to Jeremiah and his prophesying, his predictions. So, but we've got some situations. This is more really from thirty four to forty five is not traditional prophetic stuff. You have a lot more in Jeremiah of narrative than you have in most of the prophets. Most of the prophets are mostly like sermons or like oracles or something like that. In Jeremiah, you intersperse these oracles, these prophetic you know, revelations like we had in chapter 33, with just history stuff, with the stuff that happens. And we're into the history stuff now from 34 to 45, which is cool because it's fun to see the stories. But these are stories, many of which were not told in Kings and Chronicles. So we pick up on some more stuff in the history of those last few years that we didn't know about. So chapter 34, would somebody read 1 to 7? The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, with all the kingdoms of the earth that were under his dominion, (coughs) And all the peoples were fighting against Jerusalem, against all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire. You will not escape from his hand, for you will surely be captured and delivered into his hand, and you will see the king of Babylon eye to eye and he will speak with you face to face, and you will go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, You will not die by the sword. You will die in peace, and as spices were burned for your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they will burn spices for you, and they will lament for you. Alas, Lord! For I have spoken the word, declares the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah, in Jerusalem, when the army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the remaining cities of Judah, that is, Lachish and Azkah, for they alone remained as fortified cities among the cities of Judah. To some extent right here, we're seeing the context of the situation that's going to happen in this chapter. And this is not a pretty picture. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, with all the kings of the earth that were under his dominion, and all the peoples, ouch. Like the whole world is doing what? Fighting against Jerusalem. Jerusalem against the world, ooh, that doesn't sound very good, and it isn't, because God sends Jeremiah to tell the king Zedekiah, which king was Zedekiah? The last one. We're in the last days of Judah, and so Jeremiah is sent to speak and to tell him, hey, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he's going to burn it with fire, and you won't escape. (laughs) You know, that's really comforting news, isn't it? You know, you get this whole world coming against you, and then Jeremiah, the prophet, says, God says, you're goners. You know, I'm going to tear you down. So you got the whole world plus God against you. Does that sound like real positive odds? 
You know, this is not good. Uh, but he says, but good news, you know, you're not going to die by the sword. You know, you'll die in peace. Now, under Babylonian uh, dominion, and uh, actually, he's going to, he says in some other passages, they're actually going to take him to Babylon, but he's not going to see Babylon. You know how that was fulfilled? Yeah. So the they, lost his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd never heard that one. Yeah. But, so yeah, that was kind of bad. But, he isn't killed. But the nation is destroyed. Jerusalem is devastated. You know, this is the message. And so, this is just really not a pleasant thing at all. You know, for Zedekiah to hear. Can you imagine how Zedekiah and the people are feeling? You know, how do you get to feeling when everything's against you? Hopeless. Hopeless. <laughs> what emotions do you feel besides hopelessness? Unstable. Unstable. Depressed. Depressed. Fearful. Fearful. What goes with fearful? Desperate. It's a good five-letter word for that. Panic. Yeah, they're panicked. This is just terrifying to them. And look at verse 7. The army of the king of Babylon was fighting against Jerusalem and against all the remaining cities of Judah. Now, you know, there's a lot of cities of Judah. <laughs> How many of them are remaining, according to this verse? Plus Jerusalem, there are two. Mm-hmm. Whoa. What if, what if we said, uh, you know, uh, the king of Kentucky has, is fighting against, has conquered all the cities of uh, Indiana except Indianapolis plus two. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? Uh, so, what are the two? Yeah, Lankish and Azaka. And um, it's interesting. There is a like a, I think it's a pottery um, piece that's been written on that they found in Lakish from about this time, and it said uh, from, from that area, we are watching for the smoke signals of Lakish because we do not see Azeka. Apparently, the last three to fall were Jerusalem, Lakish, and Azeka. And from that, you know, writing, we assume Azekafel, then Lachish, and then Jerusalem. And that's kind of confirmation of this, uh, of this statement, that uh, there's only two left plus Jerusalem, well, on the Ostraka here from, the, from Lachish, uh, there was only one left plus Jerusalem, and then pretty soon Lachish will fall. And it's going to be Jerusalem. And this is saying Jerusalem will fall too. That's the setting. We need to get the setting so it makes sense what happens next. So the setting is panic, despair, overwhelming sense of, you know, just horror. The whole world plus God against Jerusalem. What do you do in a case like that? Comments or questions on that setting through verse 7? 
I think so often we read this passage and we're just like, oh yeah, they were sieged and everything fell at the end. But like, especially the piece of pottery, I mean, just imagine how the people felt. Like, everything is falling apart. And they're like, we we have been thriving for years and years. What is happening? And they really had thought Jerusalem could not be yeah. destroyed because we got the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, Jeremiah 7. Well, certainly Jerusalem can't fall. Well, they didn't know the temple was only a shell anymore. God had already left. All right, let's see what they do. This is a little complex, but once you once we eventually see the whole chapter and you see the point, uh, this is interesting. 8 through 11. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were in Jerusalem to proclaim release to them, that each man should set free his male servant and each man his female servant, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, so that no one should keep them, a Jew his brother, in bondage. And all the officials and all the people obeyed who had entered, obeyed who had entered into covenant, that each man should set free his male slave, and each man his female servant, so that no longer should keep them any longer in the bondage. They obeyed and set them free. But afterward they turned around and took back the male servants, the female servants, whom they had set free, and brought them into subjection for male servants and for female servants. Okay. So Zedekiah makes this covenant with the people. Now remember the setting. Besieged Babylon and the whole world surrounding Jerusalem. And what's the covenant Zedekiah makes with the people? What are they about to do? Read all of their Hebrew slaves. Yes. Now, what was the law on Hebrew slaves? Not exactly. You had them for six years, and the seventh year there was. You have to release them on the seventh year. Right? And what if the slave didn't want to be released? Yeah, put a hole in their ear. <laughs> yeah, and that's a sign that the slave has voluntarily chosen to be a permanent slave. But otherwise, you have to release him. Well, I suspect the same thing is true about that that was true about some of the other things Chris was saying last night. What are the chances they ever kept the Jubilee? And clearly, from the record, they hadn't been keeping the Sabbath year as far as letting the land life follow for a long, long time. Well, part of the Sabbath year also was this idea of setting the slaves free. My guess is they hadn't been doing that either. So, you know, what do you do when you did so- you've been doing something bad? And your parents have been yelling at you about it. And finally they say, okay, you're grounded for six months. What do you say then? Okay, I'll clean my room. Okay, exactly. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. That's what they're saying. Okay, we're going to release these slaves. We'll we'll do it. We'll do whatever God says. We'll, We'll release the slaves. You know, hoping that, see, if you do it now, then God will... You know, you'll score brownie points with God, and maybe he'll be okay. 
So it's kind of a last-ditch effort to persuade God to do something here. Besides that, think about the situation of a siege. A siege means what? Exactly. The Babylonian army is right outside the city wall waiting for somebody to leave the door open. (laughs) You know, and battering the wall and a bunch of stuff. Well, if you remember how Israelite cities were built, if they got a wall around the city, how big is the city? Yeah, they just make small cities, as small as you can. So where's all the farmland? What do you use your slaves for? Yeah, to farm. So what good are the slaves to you now that the city's under siege? Isn't this convenient? We score brownie points with God, and at the same time, we really don't need these slaves, and it's going to be a drain on the uh, family budget to have to uh, feed them. We're releasing our slaves now. We've decided to repent. (laughs) You ever done that? You know, you ever offer God something that you decided, no, I think it's probably better to do it this way anyway. No, I'll I'll do it for God. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure if God really was that big a factor in why they did this, but they'd sure like to get some credit from God while they're at it. Well, then what happens in verse 11? Change the mind. They they renege and they take them back. Do you know why? Look at verse twenty one. Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials I will give into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone away from you. Behold, I am going to command, declares the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city. There was apparently a time when Babylon let up the siege, when they, when they left for a period of time. Well, when Babylon suddenly stops the siege and leaves, that's when they renege and re-enslave their liberated former slaves. Can you see why? Now we need those slaves for agriculture. And you see why else? They worked. I mean, they were back. It's like cleaning your room. And you start to clean, and it's like, oh, okay, well, we'll let you have your cake now. And it's okay, well, I'm done cleaning. <laughs> yes! They didn't need God now. Because the Babylonians had left. You know, so... Uh, as someone said, it was panic piety with the usual sequel, you know, upon recovery. <laughs> you know, anybody, have you ever done that? Really, really bad shape. You know, some terrible crisis, some suddenly looming, you know, you're really worried about it, you're dreading it. God, if you please do this for me, I promise I will. And then he does it, and well, now you don't need him, and now he gave it to you, so you go back on your promise. Don't do that. But that's, that happens. I mean, you know, in the crisis, you know, you might say anything. Uh, but now, you know, they, they repent. 
repentance isn't always a good thing. They repent and change their mind about the good they were going to do, and they go back to doing bad. <laughs> that was a negative repentance. And so, wow. What do you think about this nation? Can't make up their mind. They act like they can't make up their mind. Yeah? They act a lot like the Egyptians did. And how they did during the plagues. Yeah! Didn't he do that? Oh yeah, I'll let you go! As soon as God let off on the plague, what would he do? Never mind. I renege. Yeah. You ever done that? Do we generally serve God better when things are really um, tense for us and not going very well and we're really worried about something? Sometimes we do, you know. And then when things start going good again, okay, I don't need God. Wow, that's really bad. Can you see why God was going to finish them off? (laughs) How would you feel if you were the Lord with a nation like this? Thoughts and comments through verse 11. Twelve to sixteen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your forefathers when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I said, every seventh year you must free any fellow Hebrew who has sold himself to you. After he has served you six years, you must let him go free. Your fathers, however, did not listen to me or pay attention to me. Recently, you repented and did what was right in my sight. Each of you proclaimed freedom to his countrymen. You even made a covenant before me in the house that bears my name. But now you have turned around and profaned my name. Each of you has taken back the male and female slaves you had set free to go where they wished. You have forced them to become your slaves again. Yes, uh, you've got a different translation, but I guess that's, that is the end of verse 16. Ah, yeah. uh, good. <laughs> I'm looking for the words mind in with, but yours ended with the same statement a different way. Um, well, look at what God had done. When he brought them out of Egypt, what was that doing? Freedom. From slavery. God freed them from their slavery and he said every seventh year you are to free your fellow Israelite slaves from their slavery and your forefathers never did it they didn't obey me recently you did you 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 released yours you made this covenant in my name and my house that you were going to release your slaves So if you make a covenant in the name of God in God's house, what do you do if you break that covenant? You do very badly. You do do very badly. What do you do with the name of God? Profane it. You profane it. You know, you swear by God you're going to do something and you don't do it, then you are actually, you know, blaspheming the name of God. So... On top of all their other crimes, now now it's uh, you know perjury. They they swore falsely in the name of God. They reneged on their agreement. They didn't continue that commitment. Wow. He said, "You are just adding insult to injury. You already had a list of sins this long. Now you just add more to it." 
If you're not going to do it, don't tell God you're going to do it. Sometimes we say anything at the moment to get us out of the jam. And then we do, our word doesn't mean anything to us. You see people do it. We, we want to please God or other people. So whatever at the moment we think might be uh, most liked, we'll just say it to get ourselves out of the issue. That's what they were doing. God saw it, and he wasn't happy at all about it. Thoughts and comments? Um, in this chapter, was God, like, was God really relenting? Or was Babylon just taking a break? <laughs> I guess I'm not sure of the answer to that. God may have been testing a little bit. I suspect this is a kind of like the Pharaoh thing. You know, okay, we'll just see what they do. Uh, but as it turns out, it didn't amount to anything more than Babylon taking a break. Um, I'm not sure exactly why, from their standpoint, they withdrew for a short time. But, I mean, I don't know what could have happened if the people had really stuck with their commitment. You know, who's to say? Because God is very quick to change from punishment to blessing if the people really change. But this just proved they hadn't really changed. This was just manipulation. Yeah, sir. Just along the same lines as uh, this in Ecclesiastes 5, <clears throat> yeah. 5, 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Um, do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Yeah, great passage. Which one was that? Ecclesiastes 5, the whole um, 5 through 7 is the whole context. Yeah, that's, that's exactly where they were at here. Said whatever they thought would help. And then completely, you know, went back on everything they said. Other thoughts? 17 to 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me, and let me release each man to his brother, and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord, to the sword and to the pestilence and to the famine. And I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life, and their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials I will give into the hand of, of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life and into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon, which has gone away from you. Behold, I am going to command the praise of the Lord, and I will bring them back to this city, and they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire, and I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. So you didn't release, release your slaves, verse 17, so I'm going to release you. Wasn't that nice of God? kind of release was God going to give to them? 
looks like he's releasing the sword, pestilence, and famine on them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's almost like he's going to release them from his protection so that these things happen. You know, so I, you didn't free your slaves. Well, I'm going to free you to face the terrible judgments that Babylon is bringing. You're going to have the freedom to fall by the sword or by pestilence or by famine or whatever. Uh, now, he talks about the covenant that they made. They made this covenant, that is, this agreement to free their slaves. Now, we don't know a lot about this, and this passage is one of the key ones to tell us this, but let me give you kind of some... Um, some ideas that most scholars agree with and I think are probably true. When they made a covenant, they would say, all right, I am promising to do blank, 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 blank. And they had a covenant ratification ceremony in which they would cut up an animal <coughs> and they'd place pieces of the animal on two sides. And then they'd walk through between the pieces and they basically say, may God cut me like this animal if I don't keep the covenant. In fact, the verb that's used to make a covenant is literally to cut a covenant. A lot of people think that that comes from the idea of cutting up the animal and walking through it to say, may God curse me with being cut up like this animal if I don't keep the covenant. Now look, and from that perspective, look at what he says. Verse 18, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which they made with me, when they cut the calf in two and pass between the part, its parts, that is the officials of Judah, Jerusalem, court office priests, all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hands of their enemies and the hand of those who seek their life, and so forth. So, he's going to have them be cut up by their enemies because they didn't keep the co- they didn't keep the covenant they cut um, does that this may not but does that remind you of any other covenant very good do you remember that what happened Yeah, who did? Abraham. And? God did, yeah. The flaming torch or whatever came through, came through. Do you remember, anybody remember what chapter in Genesis that was? That would be wild. What? Fifteen. Fifteen, very good. Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, I'm glad you found it. Yeah. That, this, we think, is the background for that ceremony in, in Genesis 15, where God passes through the cut-up pieces of the, of the animal and basically is saying... May I be cut up like this animal if I don't keep the promise I made you, Abraham? Which is a remarkable thing that God would humble himself like that and give that kind of reassurance. You know, you remember a lot of times, um, in Hebrews particularly, it talks about God taking the oath. There were several kinds of oaths God took with Abraham, but that was one of them. You know, he really committed himself. He went through a covenant ratification to commit himself. He will keep the promises he was making to Abraham. So those two passages, are this one and Genesis 15, 
are, are passages that we use a lot to try to understand this covenant ceremony that they went through. Apparently, they went through that when they committed to release their slaves, and then they reneged, and so God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you guys a banquet for the scavenger birds and the beasts and all that. If it's good for the vultures, it's bad for the people. And uh, I'm going to give you into the hand of the king of Babylon. He went away from you. Yes, that's true. But I'm going to command and bring him back. You know, so God was going to command the Babylonian armies to return and just go ahead and destroy Jerusalem because they reneged on this covenant. Comments or questions on all that? I think from a world perspective, this, stand, or this seems like very harsh of what God's doing. But in actuality, um, it's him loving them, you know, to get them to come back to serving him. Yeah, and it mostly seems harsh sometimes to us because we don't think that commitments made to God really mean much. Now, how do you feel about keep people keeping commitments they make to you? I'm pretty upset if they don't. That's exactly right, especially if very much is riding on it. You ever had somebody really renege on something that was pretty important that they promised you? You know, every once in a while you hear about somebody who, like, takes a job and, and they sign a contract and all that. And then they work for a month and they're supposed to get their first paycheck and the company doesn't pay them. Now just how would you feel if you signed a contract with the company? They're going to pay you X amount for working every month. And you work, the, you work for a couple months and they just don't pay you. Would that, would that upset you? Well, Think about, we, we, we take seriously, to some extent, if we were on the receiving end, a covenant somebody makes with us. What about covenants with God? Why don't we take those seriously? I think that would be the idea. Other thoughts? It's always worse when you're on the receiving end. You're right. I mean, you know people, I mean, the people at work and whatever, you know, they'll make the big speech. Ah, I just can't stand a liar. Nothing, you know, nothing irks me more than somebody that lies. And then they turn around and it's okay. You know, it doesn't if they do it, it's okay. They don't want to yeah. turn back to them. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that true? What if God reneged on a commitment to us? Whoa. We, we, wow. That'd be horrible. Thank God he doesn't do that. But why does he have more obligation to keep his commitments than we do? Other thoughts? So that's part of the release here. When he's released, it's kind of, we're now released from this covenant. I don't have to hold up. You've, you've released yourself from our deal by doing this. I think that's exactly right. Yes. I think sometimes people misunderstand God when they think they go back and they steal, like especially if the family member dies, um, they think they turn to God and it's like, how could you do this to me? And, which this shouldn't be their person's attitude. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, sometimes 
we have expectations of God that he never committed himself to. You know, we just committed him to it. <laughs> Other thoughts, man? I, I know this is in a lot of places, but I think it's pretty cool that the Babylon army, you know, probably didn't have a command from God to go without Jerusalem, but God said, I will bring them back. So, it's neat. Yes, it's probably Babylon had no idea God was using them. <laughs> they were kind of unconscious instruments in God's hand. God's pretty sharp to be able to do that kind of stuff. And he does it all the time. Other thoughts? Well, why don't we take our break now and then we'll... Chapter 35 is really cool, quite a contrast but also kind of one of those things you didn't know before if you haven't studied Jeremiah. So.